Well, good morning to you. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning uh, for worship. Let me go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Uh, we are quickly coming to the close to the very end of Jonah. Uh, and I've got one more week here in this series. Um, and I pray it's been as encouraging to you as it's been encouraging uh, to me. Uh, and as you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back for you. I'd also encourage you to get um, sermon notes. And there's also a printout in there for you. Uh, for later for your own um, uh, looking. So uh, if you're there with me in Jonah chapter 3, let me go ahead and invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. If you go down to verse 10 with me, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of this disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to worship. God, we thank you that we could lift our voices in song to you. God, we thank you that the work is finished this morning. God, I love those lines. You've placed the keys of the kingdom in the hands of fishermen for people. Oh God, we're your people, Lord. I pray you have placed a burden on our hearts this morning for your ministry, for your mission. Oh, God, speak through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll be seated. So throughout history, no matter what type of business that you can think about, no matter what type of group of people that you can imagine, in every situation, that group, that business had to publicize what they were doing, what they were about. No matter the size, everything essentially has to be published or publicized so that the world can know that it exists. To say it simply, no one is going to know what you have unless you tell somebody else about it. In the book of Jonah today, God has commanded the prophet to go and publicize his message of warning to the pagan city of Nineveh. The Ninevites at this point are unaware of their sin before a sovereign God and their deserving of his judgment and their need for his mercy. So God commands his chosen prophet to go and proclaim his message of warning so that these people can know that judgment is coming if they do not repent of their sin. So as we pick up here in Jonah chapter 3, we come to the beginning of the second half of the story. First half focuses on Jonah's fleeing from God's command and the results of that fleeing. The second half is focused on Jonah's going with God's command and the result of his obedience. Here in chapter 3, God, by his mercy, is about to work through Jonah's obedience to publicize his message of warning to the city of Nineveh, and the results are astounding. 
So this leads us to our main idea this morning, that through Jonah's obedient proclamation of God's message, Nineveh repents from their sin and receives God's mercy. So here's my prayer this morning. As we look at Jonah's obedience, as we look at Nineveh's repentance, that each of us would see God's mission right in front of us. And that we would simply obey his command to go and trust our Lord with all of the results. So let's jump into our passage. First, we see how Jonah obediently goes and proclaims God's message. Go with me back to verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So as I've already mentioned, Jonah chapter 3 is the second half of this book. You could even go as far to say that chapter 3 is a complete reset of the entire story. We love uh, the X-Men series for some reason. So the, the first five movies has this whole deal about the X-Men. The sixth movie is like a complete reset of the story to like cancel out the first five movies. So I say just go watch the sixth movie and you'll pretty much handle the whole story there. It's kind of the same situation here in a sense because Jonah finds himself exactly where he began in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah in chapter 1 was running away from God's command opposite direction of Nineveh. He tries to run away from the Lord so that he doesn't have to hear God's command again. But here in chapter 3, we finally see how Jonah responds. Jonah finds himself again here in Palestine. And praise the Lord, we see that he is finally obedient to God's mission. He finally says yes. Now, before we continue, let's take a moment and look at a few lessons about God from Jonah's obedience. First thing I want you to see is that God's purposes will be accomplished. We've been saying this the last four weeks. God's purposes will will be accomplished. Jonah's deepest desire is to run away from what God is calling him to do. He hated the Assyrians. He wanted to do the total opposite of going to them. He hoped that by fleeing, he could just escape God's missional purposes. But what we saw in the first two chapters is that God will not stop pursuing you until he gets your attention. He was not going to take no for an answer. In the song, The Lord Our God, the first two lines says, Promise maker, promise keeper, you finish what you began. And this is absolutely true. God doesn't lie. He isn't something, someone who starts something and never finishes it. When God says he's going to do something through you, he is going to do it. All his promises, brothers and sisters, are and yes and amen. If God said he's going to do something through you, what we learn in this story is that he will do exactly what he intends to do. You're not escaping your purposes. You don't just say no and he just doesn't just, he just leave you alone. No, he is going to pursue you. He's going to do exactly as he said he is going to do for the sake of his glory in your life. 
Now, as we said the first week, Jonah represents more than just himself in this story. He also represents the nation of Israel during his day, and he also represents God's people all throughout church history. And you see, throughout Israel's history, we see over and over again how proud they were of the covenantal blessings God had poured out over them. Man, they were all about Genesis 12, 1 through 2. They knew that God made them a great nation. They knew that he had blessed them. They knew that he had chosen them out of every nation of the earth to be his people. And all of that is true. But sadly, over and over again, we see how Israel completely missed the reason why God chose them out of every nation of the earth. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And this is the key. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God desired for Israel. He now desires us as the church of Jesus to be a light for the nations. God has chosen you. He has saved you for the sake of his glory in this world. Can I just say that salvation is not about you? It's not. It's about God's glory in worship in all people groups. Israel lost sight of this. Jonah lost sight of this. God is rebuking Israel during this time for their stubbornness and refusal to be a light to the nations. And what he shows Israel and what he shows Jonah is that his purposes will be accomplished. Even if that means throwing them overboard into the bottom of the sea. His purposes will will be accomplished. Second lesson I want you to see is that God is a God of second chances. Go with me back to verse one. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, underline that word, the second time. A second time. Brothers and sisters, anything, can we just take a moment and praise God that he gives us a second time? As Christians, we can just Say with hands lifted up, he is a God of a thousandth times. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't just wave you off as worthless when you fail him. No, he's a gracious and loving father. Yes, who will sternly discipline his children when needed, but will also graciously pat you on the back and give you a second chance. As we've been saying over the past few weeks, God doesn't give up on us, even though we give up on him so often. In every sense of the word, God should have given up on Jonah. I mean, my man literally ran the opposite direction of where God was calling him to go. But that's just not who the Lord is. He pursued Jonah. He rescued Jonah. He restored Jonah. He refocused Jonah on him and his mission, and he gave Jonah another chance. What we see here in chapter 3 is that the sovereign God restores the refusing, disobedient runaway in chapter 1. And then he sets his feet on the right path so that Jonah would be the obedient prophet who goes and accomplishes what God had commanded him to go. Now, as Jonah is obedient and he goes to Nineveh, notice with me the message that he proclaims when he gets there. Go with me to verse 3. It says, so Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. 
Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah gets up. He begins this 600-mile journey to the city of Nineveh. And notice that he isn't going with his own message. What we see in this passage is that Jonah proclaims God's message alone. God's message alone. In verse 2, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that he tells them. And this is exactly what Jonah does. He doesn't go to Nineveh, Nineveh with a grand speech, a lofty sermon, all this incredible knowledge that he in himself has. He doesn't try to persuade them with his own words. He simply shares God's very word, and in it, God reveals his power. Paul points us to the same truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Nineveh didn't need to hear a message from Jonah. That wasn't going to do anything. They needed to hear from God Almighty alone because his word alone can dig into the very inner parts of our hearts and cause revival to take place in our soul. If you know this passage, if you've been in church long enough, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why we preach how we preach around here. We preach expositionally, verse by verse, to expose you to what God is actually saying in his context because we believe that God's word, the Bible, is the infallible, inspired, and inerrant word of God. And in it, in it alone, there is life. Hope's not in my thoughts this morning. Hope's not in Pastor Stephen or Jeff's thoughts in any specific morning. If you're hoping in what we think, man, that is a ship that's going to sink quick. You need to hear from God. You need to open up the word and you need to hear him speak to you. That's where eternal life comes from, not from us. It's God's word alone that is our ultimate authority and where we can find hope and life. In the case of Nineveh, if they were going to experience heart change, if they were going to be clenched in the very fabric of their souls, of their sin and need for mercy, they didn't need to hear from Jonah. They needed to hear from God. So we first see in our passage how Jonah, the prophet, in obedience to God's command, goes to Nineveh with God's very word. And when he arrives, he delivers an eight-word sermon from the Lord that reveals God's power, judgment, and mercy to the Ninevites, which this leads us right to our second part of our passage, where Nineveh repents and God showed them mercy. Go with me to verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So Jonah arrives in Nineveh, begins proclaiming God's message to the Ninevites, and what do we see? We see a city-wide revival. It's what I pray for this city every single week. So I pray for this church every single week for a complete revival that wrecks our very souls for God and his mission. We see here that Nineveh believes God and actively repents of their sin. In verse 5, it says that they believed God. They recognized that it wasn't Jonah who was speaking, but it was God who was speaking to them, and his message struck to the very center of their hearts. Nineveh believed God at his word, and this led to an entire city, from the greatest of them to the least of them, including the king, including the animals, to actively repent of their sin. They didn't just say that they were sorry for what they did. They actively repented. They all turned from their evil, and they fasted and physically showed signs of remorse for their sin. Again, We see in this text another rebuke to Israel during Jonah's day and even to Israel during Jesus' day. Jesus points to this passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. But as Jonah began became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Down to verse 32, it says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Throughout Scripture, God would often confront Israel in their sin, and so often, unlike repenting Nineveh, they would completely ignore God and his message. They killed God's messengers. They continued to worship false idols. In the New Testament, they killed God's very son before repenting of their sin. Nineveh, in this passage, is a rebuke to the Israelites in Jonah's day because they believed God at his word. And they actively repented of their sin. Now, like I just did about Jonah's obedience, let's take it back a step for a second and just look at Nineveh's repentance and see how God is specifically working within this whole mission. First lesson is that God goes before us on the mission field and prepares the fields for harvest. We see in this passage that God not only prepares the heart of Jonah, but he also prepares the listening Nineveh. uh, Jesus in John 4.35 says, Do you not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest? Look, 
I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, don't miss this. Jonah is just being obedient to what God has called him to do. He doesn't know when he goes to Nineveh that what God's already been doing in the lives and hearts of Nineveh to prepare them for the message that he is just going to obediently proclaim. So let me just paint you a picture of what scholars believe is happening in the life of Assyria during this time. So though not possible to fully know, most scholars believe, and I believe with them, that more than likely the king of Assyria during Jonah's time was King Assurdan III, who reigned from 773 through 756 BC. In, in that case, he would be the contemporary of King Jeroboam of Israel, who, who was king in Israel during that same time, and who Jonah prophesied about in 2 Kings 14, 25. Now, let me give you a picture of this man's reign for all of his years. Not a good one. During his reign, Assyria encountered natural disasters such as a total solar eclipse, an earthquake, famine. They experienced rioting within their own people. They had continual attacks and invasions from outside countries. Now, all that stuff to us ain't much of a big deal, but for them, they saw that as a sign of a deity's divine wrath against their people. Now, let me ask you this. If you're King Assurdan III, all this stuff is happening in your reign. You have a shaky foundation at your core, and your people are just panicking and freaking out, and you know that God is pouring wrath on your people. How are you going to respond when a, a foreign prophet from, with a foreign deity comes and says, God is putting judgment on you, and you're about to be destroyed? How are you going to respond? Just like Assyria is, or Nineveh, right? You're going to believe that message. You're going to believe that it is God who's about to overturn your city. We see that in verses 5 and 6. It's almost like Jonah can't finish his message before the Assyrians believe God and call for a city-wide fast of repentance. This is a preacher's dream. I read in a history book one time that a pastor was so powerful in his message, he couldn't even finish his sermon before people started dropping to their knees and repenting crying out to the Lord just to save them. This is what we see here in Nineveh. Jonah's preaching this message from the Lord, and they just immediately, they're excited to hear from God, yes, I'm going to cry out to you, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, God. I'm so sorry for sinning against you. Listen, I firmly believe that God in his sovereignty sent Jonah at just the perfect time. So that when Assyria, whose hearts have been prepared by the Lord through all of these disasters, heard God's message and they repented of their sin. In every sense, he prepared the field for harvest before Jonah even got there. Church, don't ever think that you have encountered someone randomly or were just around someone by accident. Don't ever think that what you are doing for the Lord does not matter. You have no idea what someone is going through, what has happened, what the, how the Lord's prepared that person for that moment that they are interacting with you. I've heard this said so many times in almost 10 years of ministry. 
if people have come up to me after service and this feel like a service that was dead end and just didn't feel right, and by the people come up over and over and saying, I, you will never imagine what that song meant to me. You have no idea what that word was. You were speaking to me directly at that time. I occasionally say this, and I believe this with all my heart, including with the people here in this room right now. The fact that you are in here at this moment, if you're watching online, if you're listening to our podcast later on, I believe that God has providentially led you and prepared you for this moment so that you could see and hear and taste the glory and goodness and the majesty of Jesus, our Savior. God goes before us in the mission field, brothers and sisters. Here in Jonah 3, we see that God prepares our hearts to be obedient to him in his mission. And as we go, he goes before us on the mission field and prepares the fields for harvest. The second lesson we, lesson we see is that we are simply to proclaim and be obedient and entrust God with the results. Go with me to verse 9 again. They say, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The reality is that neither Jonah nor the Ninevites knew how God would respond to the Ninevites' repentance. It wasn't up to them. That was out of their hands. Jonah 2, verse 9, Jonah declared that salvation belongs to the Lord, which simply means that God is the author of salvation. He's the one who he decides to pour out mercy to. For Jonah... God just called him to be obedient to his mission and nothing else. Jonah was commanded to go, proclaim God's message to the Ninevites, and everything else is completely in the Lord's hands. The truth is, if that no one would have responded by faith and repentance in Nineveh, Jonah's trip would have still been successful because he obeyed and followed God's command. And church, this should just free us as we go on mission for the Lord. Neither you nor I can save a person's soul. You can't force Jesus down somebody's throat. You can't want Jesus more for someone than that they want themselves. It's not up to us. And I just encourage you, just simply be obedient to the work God has commanded you to do and trust the Lord with the results. Trust him. He alone can save. He alone has the power to change lives and bring people to repentance. That's not on you. You're just called to be obedient to what he's called you to do. Like Jonah, just be obedient to proclaim God's message and then trust God with the results. For Nineveh, Jonah obediently proclaims his message. The Ninevites believe God and actively repent from their sin. And we see that in verse 10, that God shows Nineveh mercy. Go with me to verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So what Jonah fears the most happens. These pagan Ninevites hear God's message of warning, and they respond by repenting and putting their faith in the Lord. And we see how God literally repents, relents, 
from the destruction he was going to place on them. As we saw the first week, God can't deny himself. He is always consistent with his own character, and this includes in all locations and at all times. What God was to the Israelites is what God is to all people groups, including the wicked Assyrians. Listen to Jeremiah 18. Verse 7 says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. God will never despise a broken and contrite heart, no matter where they're from. 2 Peter 3 tells us that he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God will always turn from his judgment when a desperate soul calls on him for salvation and actively repents from their sin and puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage, the Ninevites repent of their sin and God relents or repents of his judgment on them. How does God ultimately repent of his judgment? This quote was just perfect. Ultimately, however the problem posed by the repentance of God is solved, not by observing the repentance of men and women, but by noticing that God repents of evil, he would do by taking the punishment for that evil on himself. God in his infinite wisdom repents of the judgment he was going to place on Nineveh by placing that judgment on his perfect son, Jesus Christ, when he was nailed on the cross for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, you know this passage well. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the cross, Jesus bore our judgment in our place. He died for our sin, offering up a once for all, sin-atoning, wrath-satisfying sacrifice for the forgiveness of of our sins. He then rose from the grave three days later to destroy the power of death forever and to give new life to anyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in him for salvation. James Montgomery Boyce, I believe, sums up this message so well. He says, here the message of Jonah hits quite close to home. Like Jonah and the Ninevites, each of us today needs to repent of sin and turn to the righteous and merciful God of the universe. But our repentance from sin, assuming we do repent, is made possible only because God himself first repented of the evil by taking our judgment on himself. Jesus bore our judgment. Consequently, our turning from sin must be at the same time a turning to Jesus, through whom alone we have forgiveness. So what? One question I believe all of us need to ask. In obedient to God's mission, are you actively going and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake 
of the unrepented. Like Jonah this morning, are you obeying God's command to go and proclaim his gospel message to those who don't know Christ? Now, I said at the beginning, in your sermon notes, there's a sheet that was in the middle of there. And that sheet is from Joshua Project. There's a million resources on that website to help you see what I'm talking about here. But as of Thursday night, joshuaproject.net reported that there were 7,398 unreached people groups. And over 3.28 billion unreached people on this planet right now. That's a whopping 41.8% of the entire world's population who have very little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in for a moment. We're talking about 3.28 billion people who are dying and going to an eternal hell because they don't even have access to hear about Jesus. They don't know that there is a God who they are guilty before. It should break our hearts, brothers and sisters. It should set a passion in our hearts to go and share this message to them. Romans 10, 13 through 15, Mike's already read this for us, says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What we've learned through Jonah this morning is that we as God's chosen people are the ones who were commanded to obediently go to the nations and proclaim his gospel message to those who have never heard his gospel. There's no plan B this morning. If you're in Christ, you're it. Now, this is how I want to close. Because this has scared me to death all week. Because this is what I know. I've been in church my whole life. And we hear messages about God's mission all the time. It's just part of what we say here at this church. But here's what I know. If something doesn't impact you personally, you're not going to do it. Just not. I can share information about billions of people who are unreached with the gospel. Here's a hard truth. How can we even begin to get to a billion people when we don't think about a thousand people here in Kings Mountain? When we don't think about ten people in our families? Truth is, a lot of our missions is to just be here at church on a Sunday morning. And some of us don't even do that faithfully. We don't have room for billions in our lives. We can't get there from here. We can't grasp God's global mission because we're not even doing his mission right here with us locally. So here's what I want to do. Before we begin prayerfully considering global missions and reaching billions for the sake of the gospel, I want to simply challenge us this morning to begin today with a few simple steps towards putting God's mission in our everyday 
lives first. And here's the heart behind it. As I said, if something doesn't impact us personally, we're not going to do it. So the heart behind these challenges is to help us to begin encountering God's mission every day and to help us to begin purposely interacting with others around us who aren't a part of our immediate families or more common social circles. So here's my three missional challenges for each of us today. First thing, every day this week, prayerfully and purposely speak to someone that you don't know or haven't spoken to in some time within your work, church, school, shopping, or social groups or areas. Listen, there is a coworker, there's a friend, there's a person at the checkout line, there's a person that God's placed in your mind at this very moment. And there's opportunity all around us to encounter that person this week. So we said earlier, there's no random encounter with anyone. But here's the deal. Often you have to be intentional with reaching out to others. Fellow introverts, you have to be the initiator. I'm going to say this bluntly. Passivity, complacency is sin before God. Again, you might have a coworker who you really don't know. You might have a friend you haven't seen or spoken to in a while. Again, I heard this from a pastor. He said every time he's praying to the Lord and the Lord puts a name in his mind, he immediately stops what he's doing and texts that person, no matter who it is. I think that's a good principle or rule for our lives. Whatever the case, the point is, don't ignore people this week. Purposely and prayerfully speak to someone every day this week that isn't part of your family and isn't part of your normal social circles. And in order for us to begin getting our lives and hearts focused on God's mission, we have to be about engaging others. Second challenge. This week, I want to encourage you, reach out to me or Pastor Stephen and ask if you can go with us to the homeless community. I'm going to say this. The most impactful thing that's happened to me over the past 12 months is me going out and seeing how broken people are in this area. Until I saw a person who was literally at wit's end, he was done. The only thing he had in his possession was the plastic cover for like a mattress. That's the only thing he had to cover himself up with. And he was literally almost dead. It gave him some, some crackers, some water just to get some energy back into him. But he was, he was done. The things that's happened to him, things that are happening around people all around us right now, brothers and sisters. If you see it, I promise you, you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. Me and Ricky were talking about this week. I love the cold weather. Again, I'm, about, I'm really about Christmas. I love cold weather. No more bugs, praise the Lord. No more grass cutting, praise the Lord. But any time I'm outside, I cannot stop but to say, Lord, would you protect those who don't have a home right now It is cold? There's people who are vulnerable right now. And listen, you and I don't even put a thought to them if we don't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like, you have to encounter that. So let me just encourage you. 
reach out to this week. We would love to take you out there with us. So just let you experience, let you see what's happening in our community for those who are broken. Last thing, visit, visit joshuaproject.net every day this week and pray for one or more, more unreached people groups, individually or as a family. So that handout again uh, is just a sample of what Joshua Project is about. Joshua Project is all about God's mission and specifically the unreached people groups in the world. Now the cool thing about the site is that there's like interactive charts where you can look at individual people groups who are considered unreached with the gospel and see the overview of those specific people groups. Here's my challenge for you. You and your family every day this week, go to this website, choose one or more multiple groups and pray for them. So I'm asking. One of the greatest gifts in the world is learning and educating yourself. Before you can go on God's mission globally or even consider God's mission globally, you have to begin breathing the air that God breathes and you see everything from his perspective. Now, notice the challenges. They're not abrasive, are they? They're not hard. You can start right now when we close service. Again, the goal here for these challenges is for all of us to begin putting other people in our lives. To open our eyes and look around to see who aren't in our normal social circles. To see the brokenness, to see people. To see the world as God sees it. Again, to breathe the air of God's mission in our everyday lives. And my prayer is that as we begin implementing simple steps like these, that we will begin to get to a place where God's global mission isn't a foreign idea to us. That our intentional reaching out to one person per day will eventually lead to our desire to go to unreached peoples around the world who need the gospel. felt like this quote was so appropriate as I'm closing. On February 21st, 2018, Reverend Billy Graham passed away. On that day, John Piper has a podcast called Ask Pastor John, and so they sat down with John Piper, and they just asked him about what Billy Graham meant to him. I'd encourage you, just go listen, go search that when you have a chance. It's just incredible how much he meant to John Piper. But during the interview, they asked John Piper, what was Billy Graham's greatest impact? And this is what he said, quote, So if you talk about impact, how can you measure the impact when somebody is not going to go to hell and spend eternity in misery? but is going to have everlasting joy in the presence of God because this man opened his mouth and God Almighty used him to rescue thousands and thousands of people from everlasting destruction. Church, I pray the same can be said about us today. That many, many people went from darkness to light. That they're not going to an eternal hell because the people of Battleground Community Church simply opened their mouths, and God poured his spirit on their speech, and there was a spiritual revival that took place in our families and in our community and in our state and in our nation and in this world. Here's the question. Will you be obedient to God's missional 
command and actively go and proclaim the gospel for the sake of the unrepentant. Let's pray. Father, I believe that your word has been clear. You've called each and every one of us who are in Christ to go, to be a light for the nations, to be a light for those in our lives who don't know you. God, I pray as, our, as your people, Lord, that we would respond by faith, God, that we would respond by action, oh God. God, calls that revival in our hearts first this morning. Change lives this morning. And oh God, we do, we pray with all of our hearts for revival to happen in the city and our families, Lord. Oh God, in this country, and we do pray for the billions unreached. Oh God, may we not just say no, but actually consider saying, oh God, are you sending? Do a work in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.